Well, good morning, Door Creek. It's good to be together today. If you're a guest here, my name's Mark, one of the pastors. Welcome. So I'm holding the, uh, the annual report, which you can get online. We'll send you an email. It'll give you a link just in case you forget. It's wonderful just flipping through here to see all the ways that you've been serving and praying and giving to, to see God's work move forward. So our desire as a church by God's grace is to be Christ-centered church, right, for all people where the power of the gospel is continually, every day, in all kinds of ways, transforming lives, renewing our city, and changing the world. You will get a great understanding of what we're on about here if you're new to Door Creek, how you can connect to the various ministries, and how your investment of time and of service, your gifts, your financial resources are making a huge difference here around the world. Thank you for doing that. Pick one of these up, okay? If you don't have internet, there's a few copies. The rest of us, pick it up on your, uh, on your uh, computer at home, okay? So we had a fun week. Um, our staff does a, a serve day and around Christmas time, and so we were at Westside Elementary School, one of our partner schools in in Sun Prairie, so great to catch up with the good things that are happening there. We're their biggest partner. We had over 200 people from Door Creek serving there, over 1,000 hours of service. So we're just hearing things like attendance. More kids are showing up, less non-attendance, right? The, the, um, the problem cases, the big challenges that we're referring kids, that went from like 260 to 60 this last year. Reading scores up, math scores up. They say, we've always been at the bottom of the district in terms of a school. We're no longer in the cellar. Thanks for helping us in all the ways that you're making a difference in the lives of kids. And it was just so great. So thanks for being part of a church that cares. Yeah, that's a good one. Being part of a church that cares about people in our backyard, especially the kids. And so our partner skills, we, we love that. After the, the serving part, we, uh, we went together, got together for a party. So we had a Christmas party, and we, of course, we had to have the ugly sweater contest. I did not win. And I know you're thinking, Pastor, Pastor David should have won with that ugly Viking thing. But we would not, we would not honor and reward that with any kind of a prize. So he, did, he didn't win it. Um, and, then, and then after, after the dinner and some singing, um, we, we had a, um, a white elephant gift exchange. So... I started out with a mug. It, it, was, it was like I could maybe take that home and it might even end up in our cupboard. It was a pretty good gift. You're feeling pretty good. I got that stolen. I went back to the tree. I picked up something that I didn't know what it was. I knew it was bigger than a, a bottle, but it was in that shape. It was a bowling pin, a very old, beaten-up bowling <laughs> pin with all kinds of people's signatures on it that I didn't really understand the context. But anyways, nice things. I got rid of that and went home with a dish towel that said Merry Christmas, and I knew Lori would love it, and it fit in my pocket, so I was all good. <laughs> For the first time in all my entire life of going to white elephant parties, I actually saw a white elephant. Somebody brought, they found a white elephant. Did you know you can buy white elephants? Well, you can. It was marble-esque. I'm sure it wasn't marble but it had the kind of girth of marble. It was like this big, and it was a white elephant. And it was like, huh, all these years, never seen a white elephant. Now I have. So I don't know if you knew this, but the white elephant uh, tradition goes back. Legend has it, and it could only be legend, I'm guessing. The king of Siam, 
would give a white albino elephant to one of his men in his court that displeased him. It was called an extravagant but burdensome gift, one that is not easily gotten rid of, and one in caring for it would break you. I mean, financially, it would ruin you. So think about extravagant, burdensome, one that you couldn't get rid of, something that would break you. Well, we're going to be looking at the gifts of Christmas that come out of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 9, 6, where he says to the people who are walking in darkness, he says, For unto you is born this day a child, unto you a son is given, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. We're going to look at that today. Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. So these are the names, the names of the gift that is given to us this Christmas in Christ. Extravagant, to be sure, but far from anything but burdensome. So grab your Bible. We're in Isaiah chapter 9. And as you turn to Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to answer these questions. Who needs a wonderful counselor? Who is the wonderful counselor? And how do we access and follow that counsel and know that we actually are on the right path? So we're in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. You'll see the verses up on the screen. And why don't we just together read through verses 6 and 7. We use the translation up on the screen. You ready? All right, here we go. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So who needs a wonderful counselor? Well, we do, right? I, I need a wonderful counselor. You need a wonderful counselor. We may not have, you know, gotten up this morning thinking, hey, I, I need a wonderful counselor. We do. And you just think about all the decisions big and little, that we make every day, and then the big stuff of all of life. So today, you know, we're making decisions. Are we going to go to church? Are we not going to go to church? These decisions over time can actually impact who we are as a person and what happens in our life. What are we going to do? What are we going to say? What are we going to eat? How are we going to exercise? What are we going to do at work? What are we going to do at play? All these things. How are we going to respond to things? The everyday stuff. We may not think about it, but we need wisdom. The more and more we understand that these attitudes that we have that lead to these repeated actions that become the stuff of habit that defines our character, we realize we need wisdom for the everyday stuff because we may be just getting these habits and developing this character that we don't really want and that other people don't really like. We need wisdom for the big matters in life. So what... What do I want to do in life? Do I want to go on for more schooling? What degree should I study? Where should I go? How much debt should I, should I incur? Do I even want to go to school? Or is there a profession? Is there an apprenticeship? So where do I want to live? And who should I date? And 
Should I marry this person? Should we have kids? When should we have kids? How many kids? How are we going to discipline our kids? What if we can't have kids? What now? There's a lot of decisions in life that call for wisdom. Then we get to the hard things of life. And that's where we go, yeah, I know I need wisdom when I'm going through something that's really hard, something very complicated, something that's just I'm not sure exactly how to think and how to navigate my way through this hard situation. We need wisdom. We need wisdom just to see ourselves for who we are, understand ourselves, understand our strengths and all the great things that God has made us to be the experiences that shape that, the passions in the heart that God's given us for different things. We also need to know that with each strength, there's a shadow. There's some other things on the other side of that that sometimes don't make life so easy for me and other people. I need wisdom to know how to deal with these voices in my head, or I call them tapes that are playing. They're playing today, but they may have started back in the past when somebody said to us, you're never going to amount to anything. And those tapes plan and we all have them and we need wisdom to know what should I think about what should I do with these messages that are before me and around me all the time I need wisdom to know like this person saying these things to me about what I should do here is that good advice or not good advice I've been hearing I've been reading I read this on the internet is that wise is that a good thing for me is that not a good thing I need wisdom as I'm navigating life, dealing with temptation every day in all kinds of ways. We need wisdom. But before we go any further, we got to remember Isaiah wasn't written to us. It's for us. It was written to the people in Judah eight centuries before Christ by the prophet Isaiah, who was pointing out where the people of God had gone wrong and how they need to turn around and get their lives together with God and follow Him wholeheartedly. These are the people that were walking in darkness, it says in chapter 9, verse 2. Just, just look at verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. At the end of chapter 8, verse 19, we read that they were consulting mediums and spiritists trying to inquire for their wisdom and path in life when they should have been talking to God. In chapter 1, God describes Israel as rebellious children who were really bad. They were corrupt. They were doing wrong. And yet the, the crazy thing is, Isaiah says, you guys are super religious. So an external look of things, it looked like they had their act together. Man, did they go to church. And they, they gave offerings, and they offered prayers, and they didn't miss a Christmas, and they didn't miss a Good Friday, and they didn't miss a baptism. All the feasts, all the festivals, praying all the time, sacrificing, offering all the time. But like it was bogus. It wasn't real. It wasn't a heart engaged with the God who made them and loves them and called them into a relationship. It was, it was a charade. It was a mirage. It was a pretense. And when he, in verse 17 of chapter 1, says, 
Look, you guys are trashing the vulnerable, the widows and the orphans. You leaders are just lining your own pockets with bribes and stuff, and you are not defending the cause of the vulnerable, especially the poor. It made it clear why their worship of God was bogus, because they didn't truly love God, because we can't love God when we're trashing our neighbor. And it's to these people who actually had a great spiritual need. Did they have emotional struggles? I'm sure they did. Did they have physical things? Absolutely. But when God brought this message of hope to the people of God, it fundamentally had to do with their spiritual need. We're not always quick to catch that. We can know what we're feeling in our hearts. We can know what's going wrong with our bodies. We can know the stuff in our world that's around there. But we don't always see our own heart. The Bible says the heart is a tricky thing. Who can know their own heart, Jeremiah says. And so God comes to his people with this good news of hope, of a son, of this child who would be a wonderful counselor to people who'd lost their way spiritually. And so we note that as we then answer the question, so who's this wonderful counselor? You go, well, I already know. You told me it's Jesus. That's always the answer in church, isn't it? You heard about the Sunday school class and the teachers talking to the kids. Now, kids, what's brown? Furry, has a long tail, gathers nuts, climbs in trees, has four legs. The little boy says, teacher, man, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. <laughs> so you go, I know it's Jesus. So let's just double check our math. Let's just double check. So is that, is that who Isaiah is pointing to when he says this son, this child, right? So in chapter 7, verse 14, catch up with this prophecy. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. Note two things. Virgin birth, i.e., that's a miracle. I know we were used to it in the church. If we grew up in the church, yeah, Jesus is born of Virgin Mary. Well, hello. That's a miracle, right? Virgin birth. It's a son who's called Emmanuel. If you don't know what that word means, it means God with us. A miracle son, God, born in the flesh. In chapter 16, he says more about this one who would sit on David's throne, chapter 9, verse 7. In 16.5, in love, a throne will be established. In faithfulness, a man will sit on it, one from the house of David, one who in judging seeks justice and speeds the cause of righteousness. He's a king. Yes, the government will be upon his shoulders. This son, this child, born of a virgin, Emmanuel, God with us, from the house of of David, sitting on David's throne, this king. It ties back to the promise that God made to King David in 2 Samuel 7. Remember the story? David says, man, God, I, I feel bad because like, I just built this unbelievable palace and you're still, you know, you still hang out in a tent and I want to build you a beautiful temple. And he says, David, you're a man of war. You're not going to build me that house, but your son Solomon will. 
But speaking of building houses, I'm actually going to build your house. I'm going to build you a house that's far more important and significant than the palace you just built for yourself. I'm going to build you a dynasty. And there's going to be from your family tree a king who comes and rules forever, and he's going to set up an eternal kingdom, an eternal king that reigns forever, his kingdom and his rule. That's this son. It's the same son who was promised to Abraham who didn't have any kids. He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, God said to him. And through you, I'm going to bless all the families of the world. I'm going to make your name great, and you're going to have descendants that outnumber the stars in the heavens and the sands of the seashore. That same son. And the very first promise of a son happens in the third chapter of the Bible when God says to Eve, Eve, one of your male descendants is going to crush the enemy's head. The promise of a son runs through the storyline of the Bible. And we're moving closer now. The son of Eve, the son of Abraham, the son coming from David's family, this one on whom the government will be upon his shoulder, this one born of a virgin, this one who is none other than God, hence his eternal reign, none other than God with us. It's Jesus, the wonderful counselor. But here's what I didn't understand. For as long as I've been alive and heard this title, this name, and when we think about names in the Scripture, think about character qualities. So it's telling us not just what Jesus is called, but what he is like. He's a wonderful counselor. So when you hear that, it's easy to think, well, well he's a great counselor. Like if I told you, man, I really found a wonderful counselor. Like this woman, this guy, has been so helpful. You go, oh, I get it. This is your typical adjective that means this person's really great. This person's really helpful. Sounds like the kind of person that I might want to connect with. It just sounds like that. Wonderful. Like the Oxford Dictionary. Here's how you work out the word wonderful. Inspiring delight or pleasure or admiration, right? Extremely good. That's, what, that's like our first place we go. Marvelous. Well, actually, the word wonderful in the Bible here in the Old Testament has more than that. It has all of that. But it has something even greater. Wonderful carries the idea of doing something difficult when attributed to God, miraculous. Wonderful counselor, miracle working counselor. So it doesn't just give us great advice, but can work a miracle throughout this whole process of hearing and taking his advice. So the first time it shows up in the Bible, it's in Exodus 15. The context is the people of God just crossed the Red Sea. You remember that? They all ran at hover speeds, and they got over that Red Sea in no time flat, and they got to the other side before Pharaoh could rent his boats, right? You got that one? That's not how it went. The winds blew. It was bad. It looked like it was game over for Israel, the Red Sea in front of them. Pharaoh's army pressing in hard. Moses is praying. He's lifting up his staff, remember? And the wind blows all night. And in the morning when the sun rises, there's dry ground with the water heaped up on both sides. And that million-plus people walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. And this is what Miriam's saying in Exodus 15. 
Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Same word. What wonders? Well, the ten plagues, wonders. Protecting him from the angel of death, wonders. The walking on dry ground through the Red Sea. I mean, there had to be some kid going, Mom, Mom, there's fish in that wall. Look! It was wild. The wonders, the miracles. So, so let's catch up with this. So unlike any other counselor that we could ever go to, we get God's counsel. Perfect, holy, true, right, always good for us. Always sees all the things clearly. We get that. And then we get this whole thing. Of, it's wonderful. It's not just true. It's not just right. It's wonderful. It's wonder-working counsel that can change things. They can work a miracle. So we, we go to Christ about our guilt. And he points out why we have guilt and what to do with guilt. And then the wonder of his counsel is he can actually remove the guilt. We talk to him about anxiety and all the cares of our life. And we give him those cares. And he tells us to do that because he does care for us. And he says, here's the swap. I take your care. I take your anxiety. And I'm going to give you a miraculous peace that passes human understanding. The wonderful counselor meets us in the valley of the shadow of death and we're freaking out going, I, I know I believe you, Jesus, that you died for me and that you've gone through the other side, but I'm afraid, I'm afraid. And he says, don't be afraid. I'm here with you. I've been in this valley. I'm not going to leave you in this valley. I've been to the other side and I can take you through. And his wonderful counselor gives us not just hope in the valley, but eternal life. That's a miracle. That's a wonderful counselor. And we can't find that man or woman here on this earth. And it's what Israel needed in their ignorance, in their darkness. It's what they needed in their rebellion. It's what they needed in their pretense of religious activities and supposed worship and devotion. They needed a wonderful counselor. A counselor, a person who gives advice, counsel, who helps you devise a plan, and he comes with wonderful counsel. Where do you need that? Where do you need not just the truth and the wisdom and the discernment and the understanding? Where do you need the change, the miraculous change that you know, I can't do that? I don't know how to buy it. I don't know anybody else who can do that. Where do you need that? Is it in your marriage right now? Is it with one of your kids? Is it with a sibling? Is it a busted relationship that was so important in your life and it's just all gone south and sour? You need that wisdom for things that are going on with your health or the health of a loved one. Wisdom for that financial situation that is just so heavy and, and it's just, just taking you down. Wisdom at work, wisdom at school. Where do you need wisdom? Christ comes as the wonderful counselor. And he says 
to his church and to us in Matthew 12, 42. Something greater than Solomon is here. Solomon was the wisest man who lived. And Jesus, speaking of himself, says there's something greater than Solomon. Greater wisdom because Jesus is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now think about this. Solomon was so wise that the queen of Sheba traveled a great length and distance bringing gifts so that she could just sit at his feet and hear about his wisdom. It was something he prayed for. He could have asked for riches, but he asked for wisdom. And God graciously and abundantly granted him wisdom. And for the beginning part of his life, he heeded it, and things went really well. And one of the great demonstrations of his wisdom is the story in the Bible that talks about these two women, young mothers, both having given birth. They're in the same room in the same night, and one mother rolls over her baby without knowing it, smothers the baby. The baby's dead. She wakes up in the middle of the night, realizes what she's done, and she quickly swaps the children. So the next morning, this woman wakes up and she shrieks that her child is dead. And then she looks at her child in the morning light and goes, that's not my, that's not my baby. You, you've got my baby. No, no, this is my baby. No, that's my baby. And on and on they went, each claiming that they were the mother until they come before Solomon. And everybody wants to get this one right. And Solomon, filled with the wisdom of God, said, give me a sword. You both claim to be the mother, then I'm going to cut the baby in half and give it to each of you. One of, the, one of the women who was not the mother said, yes, that's fair. The other woman who was the mother said, please do not do that. Give the baby to this other woman. Willing to give up a relationship with this child that this sweet little baby would live. Everybody knew who the real mother was. And they marveled at his wisdom, and Jesus said, watch this. You think that was great? Something greater, something greater. So when we put it together, who is this wonderful counselor, this wonder-making counselor? He's the Son of God. He's called the Word of God, right? The eternal Word who's always been with God. In the beginning was the Word, John says in his opening verse in John 1, 1, the Gospel of John. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being through Him. And without Him, nothing that is would be. The Word became flesh, and He lived among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. He is the eternal Word of God. And that word is powerful. It's the word of creation. It's the word of resurrection. It's the word of forgiveness, of healing, of hope. And all that comes to us through Jesus, the wonderful counselor. Think about some of his counsel when he walked this earth. To the dying and the grieving. Remember his friend Lazarus? To Mary and Martha, he said, in their grief, I'm the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet will they live. Remember what he said to Jairus, this leader in the synagogue who rushed to Jesus. His daughter was so sick. He said, Jesus, you've got to come. You've got to touch. You've got to heal, heal my daughter. 
on the way home, a servant came and said, she's gone, she's gone. And Jesus says, Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. To the rich, he said, where's the wisdom? What does it gain a man? What does it profit a man? If he gains the whole world but loses his own soul, words of wisdom. To the religious leaders, he said, you guys, you've so lost your way, you actually tied on your herb garden like you're counting up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, piece of cumin. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, piece of dill, a little parsley, a little whatever, cilantro, right? He says, here you are, just in all the minutiae of your herb garden, but you're like missing the major, larger issues of justice and mercy and faithfulness. Wisdom and helping them see who they were. You whitewashed tombs. You're the blind leading the blind. Wisdom to his followers, the disciples. You want to be great? And who's the greatest in the kingdom? You want to sit at my right, James, and on my left, John? Well, let me just make it clear. The greatest in the kingdom of God is the servant of all. That's wisdom. To know that God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. You want to be great? Don't go for the head of the table. Don't make a show of it. Serve. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Be like me, Jesus said. To his disciples, he said, don't think you can serve me and money. You can't. You're going to serve one, but you can't serve them both. Guard against greed. Remember, it's not how much faith you have. It's what it's in. If you've got faith that's in me, that's as big as a mustard seed, wow, that's all you need. You can move a mountain with that kind of faith. He said to his disciples, Turn the other cheek. Love your enemy. Pray for them. Bless them. He said to his disciples, be hungry for righteousness, for truth. Hunger and thirst for those things. He, he had something for everyone wherever they were at, including the sinner. To Matthew, the guy who caved in, this Jew who's working for Rome. He's hated by his people because he's stealing from them. And he says, though everybody hates you and wants nothing to do with you, Matthew, I do. Follow me. To the paralytic who couldn't get to Jesus, whose friends brought him to Jesus and dug through the roof, he saw their faith and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. To the woman caught in adultery with all these men, self-righteous men, with stones in their hands ready to stone her to death. He says to them, he says, okay, whoever has no sin in their life, you start. You throw the first one. And little by little, they all drop their stones. And he said to the woman, where are your accusers? And then he said, go and sin no more. 
to the crazed demoniac running around the tombs with nothing on, breaking every chain that the townspeople could put. This guy was out of control, demonized by hundreds and thousands of demons, right? He says to him, I know after he's cast out the demons and this man is in his right mind, clothed and seated and wanting to re-engage with society and community and go on with Christ. He says, you know what? Go back home and tell your people all that God has done and all about the mercy that he's extended to you and to the thief on the cross. He would say those words that we always hang on to, remembering his mercy is there to the very end. And what did he say to the thief? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus is the wonderful counselor, the wonderful counselor. And if we, if we got it right, it's like, I, I, I got to connect to that. I, I need that. Even though I might, I've come here not thinking of Jesus as my counselor and not thinking I need counsel. God's people, all people, need Christ. And he comes as the wonderful counselor. So how do I access that? How do I know I'm not walking in the counsel of the wicked, Psalm chapter 1? How do I know I'm walking in the right path? So first, access. You will not access the wisdom of God until you've submitted to his lordship in your life. So what I mean is we have to relinquish. We need to kind of like write a resignation letter. We're stepping down as the chairman of the board, as the CEO, as the president of my life. I've got to submit in order to receive if I don't submit to Christ, I'm not in the posture to receive his wisdom. If I don't think I need him in my life, I'm not going to receive the wisdom of Christ. We have to submit to the wisdom of God, who is a person. It's Christ. Have I submitted to Christ? Every area of my life, his truth governing all of life. If I want to access the wisdom and walk in wisdom, I've got to do that. Not just at the beginning, but all through life, every day, in every area of my life. His wisdom over my sexuality, his wisdom over my finances, his wisdom over my anxiety, over my marriage, my relationships, how I serve in community, how I do my work. I need that wisdom. I submit to it. I was reading a devotional by James McDonald who said maybe it's time to write a resignation letter to God and share it with a couple of friends for accountability. Yeah, that was good. So having submitted, which I, let me just stop a second here. I, th I think that's really hard. So the parallel I would give is I think men don't like going to a counselor. I just don't think like we wake up going, man, I want to go to a counselor today. Can't wait. We might get there, but I don't think we start there. And I'm not saying it's any easier for women. But I just think I know a little bit more about men. 
I'm trying. I've got three sisters, three daughters. I'm trying. I'm doing the work, but I know a little bit more about men. What I know is there's a strong strain of pride. Like, I should be able to figure this out, right? I don't need anybody else to tell me. And you know what? I'm not really excited to share my business with anybody else. So I'm just going to figure this thing out. But I think, I think it's re- actually really a hard thing. And, and like pride is a gender equal, you know, flaw, right? It's not like men are the only people that struggle with pride. It's, it's all of our deal. But you put pride, you put our own insecurities, you put whatever it is, the hurts of what we need to get after and down to. And it's just easy to go, I'm not, I'm not doing that. So, but, but we're submitting to who? The wonderful counselor, who in chapter 53, Isaiah says, well, let me tell you one thing more about this wonderful counselor, who's the prince of peace. He brings peace through suffering, his suffering on our behalf. He bore our sins. He took on our punishment. He was beaten. He was stricken. He was pierced. He was crushed. I mean, this, is, this is the one who says, come. This is the one who died for us in our place. That should make things a whole lot easier to go. Well, why wouldn't I? The one who holds this universe in place, the one who gave up his life for me, that that knows me better than myself and can get me down the path, I want to submit to that. I need to submit to that. But do we? Are we? So that's the requisite first step. Having submitted, now we're seeking it. We're seeking it. There's these veins that we mine for wisdom. First and foremost, the Word of God. We believe all of it is true here at Door Creek. That God is a God who speaks from the very beginning and He continues to speak and He's revealed Himself through creation and He's revealed Himself perfectly through the inspiration of His God-breathed Word where He miraculously took human beings that are flawed like you and me and had them write His Word perfectly in the same way He chose Mary to birth the perfect Son of God. And so this is the first place Jesus says the wise man builds his house upon the what? Rock, not sand. Remember? The wise man built? All right, I'll teach you that song another day. So, but what is he saying? He goes on to tell what he means by the rock. The rock is the person, the wise person is the person who hears the word of God and does it, obeys it. So the question here isn't, do I read the Bible? Do I go to church and listen to sermons? Do I download podcasts? Hey, this is the easy part for me this week, to talk about it. The hard part is actually doing it. It's easy to listen to it. It's easy to open up. It's not that easy. But it's easy to kind of open up the Bible. And, you know, yesterday we were reading in Daniel 4 and 5 in our rooted Old Testament reading, right? Great stories. Easy. Now, now i got to live it. Well, like, well, those stories were all about Nebuchadnezzar's pride and my pride and what happens in my life if I live in pride. So I'm in the Word, and the Word's in me. That's a check to know. Am I walking the path of wisdom? 
I'm in the word, and the word is in me. I have a desire to obey it, and by God's grace, I'm following his word. We talk about the Bible's authority, our second value, centering our lives on God's truth. That's the path I'm on. That's the path I'm taking. The Holy Spirit using the word to fill me with wisdom and to keep me in that path of wisdom. That's the first vein. The second vein is prayer. James says in James chapter 1, verse 5, anyone who lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Pray to God. Solomon did that. You can do that. And God will never say, ha, sorry, I'm kind of busy today. Talk to me next week. He'll never say, wow, you know, I looked at the storehouse on wisdom. We're running short. So there's been a lot of people needing it. You know, eternal wisdom. He gives it generously. We ask God for wisdom. And then we'll be wise having asked God to quiet ourselves and to listen. As we read the word, as we pray for wisdom and wait upon God, I, I cannot tell you how wonderful it is to gain clarity on things that were completely perplexing to you in the midst of your journey and trying to figure it out. And all of a sudden, you quieted yourself and in humility acknowledged who you are. Not God. I need you, God. Will you help me with this intent? Not to have God's will be bent to your wishes, but to bend our will to His. That God gives clarity. And we're just too busy to stop and slow down. Oh, that we would make that appointment every day and quiet ourselves. That we would order our day that this isn't like, man, if I could get to it, I'll just kind of squeeze it in. But like, this is an anchor part of my day. And part of it is just quieting myself and listening. Oh, I wish I said, I do that every day really well. I do it on my cue days, my quiet days. And I want to do it more and more in every day. But here's what I know. When I've done that and just listened and asked God just simple questions like, what do you want me to hear and receive? Just about my relationship with you. And, and then I'll, I'll just add, Add this simple prayer. Lord, what does Lori, my wife, what does Lori need? What does she need? What is, and then I just go through the five kids. You know, little Henry and John, my son-in-law. You know, when my dad was still living, what does, what does dad need? What does the staff need that I lead? What do my neighbors need? Clarity, clarity. So we're in the veins. We're in the vein of God's word. We're praying, and then we're seeking godly counsel. So we're in community with other people who love Jesus, who are digging in the Word, and I can ask them a question that's far more important than, what do you think I should do? Or, what would you do if you were in my shoes? Those are helpful questions, but it's not the best question. The best question is, how does God's Word come to bear in this situation? Are there any biblical principles that you can think of? Any stories in the Bible that I should be reflecting on? Any straight-out commands that I better not miss? What does God's Word say about marriage? Because I'm in a marriage. 
What does God's word say about business and business practices? Because I've got a job. I, I need that. And so I've submitted and I'm seeking God's wisdom every day for all that I need. What do you need wisdom for this Christmas? Do you have a regularly scheduled appointment with your wonderful counselor? Are you making the appointment? Are you following his wisdom? And right about now, you go, well, did you have to guilt me right now? <laughs> so right now, just catch up with Israel, Isaiah 8. You guys, they're chasing horoscopes and tarot cards and mediums and spiritists. They were wicked. They were trashing people and the most vulnerable. Their worship was a charade. Their lives were filled with gloom. And to that people, God sent his son. And so, we are just like Israel. And God is God. And in his grace, he has given you and me an indescribable gift, a wonder-working counselor. Would you trust him and to be able to sing like Miriam, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, my wonderful counselor who's been working wonders in and through my life. Let's pray. Lord, for all that weighs heavy on our hearts, for all that is confusing and not clear, we say, have mercy. Lord Jesus, help us to recognize who you are with fresh eyes, our wonder-working counselor. Would you show us where we are in relationship with you? And would you in your mercy and grace bring us back under your yoke that we would learn of you and be transformed by you. For the marriages this morning that need your wisdom. For the health issues that need your wisdom. Your wonder-working wisdom for the complexities of what should I do right now with my life, wisdom. Have mercy on us, our wonderful counselor, in Jesus' name.